welcome to this week's episode of Best Camp of My Life, a podcast about MMA. Kind of, but not really, but kind of. This is your host, Fernanda Prates, unless I've finally been taken by our alien overlords, and this is just an artificially animated facsimile speaking. In which case, this is your host, the inorganic shell of Fernanda Prates, and you should consider being very nice to me because they are watching. Or... Maybe this is just what happens when a person running on a steady diet of Nutella, gin, and angst falls asleep to a marathon of 90 Day Fiancé. I guess we'll never know. Thankfully, it's not like being non-human would be that much of a departure from my current lifestyle. And, in fact, it might actually help communication with today's guests, which might not sound like it right now, but I swear it's my special little way of complimenting him. Today, I'm talking to Dan Tom, a man so productive and smart and good at what he does that I would rather pretend we're not from the same planet than believe that I am actually the direct product of my own choices and actions. See, told you I get there. Last I checked, Dan Tom was hosting the Protect Your Neck podcast and providing analysis for MMA Junkie and Line Movement, but I wouldn't be surprised if he had started another project in the last 25 minutes. Dan Tom is also a lifelong martial artist, a fellow blood sport enthusiast, and the person whose MMA opinions I blindly reproduce whenever I want to sound like I actually know what I'm talking about. His analysis is always sharp, insightful, and thorough, and he also happens to be super fucking nice. See? My alien theory is kind of starting to grow in you, isn't it? In any case, we don't discriminate on this show. American, Brazilian, Earthborn, Martian, as long as you are not a Bolsonaro supporter or the kind of person Alex Gibney would direct a scathing documentary series about, everyone is welcome to join me in seriously overthinking shit. Today, though, that dubious honor will be bestowed upon Dan Tom. Listen to us or don't, just please keep in mind that we see everything. P.S. We experienced a small technical hiccup and there might be a bit of a quality dip halfway through the episode. Sorry about that, but also there are bigger things for you to be worried about at the moment. I guess, first of all, I should thank my guest today for taking time off what I believe are probably his first vacations ever amid what may or may not be the apocalypse to be part of this nonsense. Hi, Dentom. Hey, what's going on, Fernanda? Good to be here. Uh, very good to have you. I'm very sorry for being an asshole and interrupting your time off, but in my defense, I just assumed you were a half machine, half person who literally never stopped for a second. So there's that. You gave me that impression. <laughs> <laughs> I, I gave our listeners an idea in the intro of why I feel that way, because like, you're just so busy all the time, but honestly, I cannot keep track of everything you do. And also I'm lazy. So if just to start us off, you could give us a bit of a rundown of the stuff that you, the projects, the stuff that you're currently doing uh, MMA wise. Well, thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. And yeah, I don't know if anybody can claim vacation, not to timestamp uh, too much, but amidst the right the pandemic era. But like, yeah, it's like it's kind of strategic. Like I, you know, I told you, like between personal stuff uh, to you know. Uh, you know, this thing called politics that apparently is happening today. Mm. Um, this part is actually, this is actually the most vacationy part of my day. So, uh, as someone who is, who has li uh, listened to your content before and always, you know, consumes it, it's, it's, it, it really is a pleasure to be here. So thank you. Uh, that is uh, a little uh, sad that this is a good part of your vacation. 
but I do appreciate it. I'll take it. Uh, my therapist has been teaching me to learn how to take compliments, so I'll take it. Uh, but just uh, tell us a little bit about what you're currently like doing. I know, obviously, you do analysis for MMA Junkie, which is where we sort of work together. I don't even know if that's where we met because I think we know each other before we were working together there. And I know um, that you, you know, do MMA analysis, do the betting thing. I'm not even going to pretend I understand betting lines, but you do that <laughs> for line movement and you have obviously your own uh, podcast. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do for money in the world, I guess. Thank you. Uh, th thank you for those plugs. But yes, yeah, we, I believe we did meet before we were colleagues because kind of apropos to um, the fight card coming this week, you uh, not just were, are a fantastic source, especially for us ignorant Westerners and non-Portuguese speakers Aww. to find out about a lot of these, you know, Brazilian faces because there's quite a few of them for some time. And as the sport has grown, so has thankfully the access in a, a lot of positives. You know, there's negatives, of course, but in a lot of positives. And one of those was, you know, uh, whether it was sites like Junkie recruiting talents like yourself, uh, and and obviously, you know, you're you, you're doing well, and I'm still following your content since, and everything you've done since. You've you've been at plenty of great outlets, or at another one right now. Um, but yes, that's where we met. But no, I, I would follow you before for fighters like Tiago Santos, kind of apropos to this weekend, and I was able to learn a lot about fighters like him and others Aww. through your through your work. So. Um, uh, yeah, I, I've been definitely fo uh, following that. That that's very useful. Kind of rounding back to your question, which is my job. Yeah. Um, you know, it, you know, you, you joke say, you know, I don't want to pretend to understand about betting, but there is some crossover in the world to where when I'm having to look at these lines, whether it's from an analyst perspective at MMA Junkie, uh, from a betting perspective at Line Movement, or from a kind of lunatic perspective from the Protect Your Neck podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. I have to gather this information somewhere, which maybe is why I am as slash am perceived as so busy because it's not just watching like ridiculous amounts of fight tape, which I'm not proud of, by the way, I'm actually trying to minimalize, but oftentimes interviews like such as ones uh, you do or articles like you've, uh, you've done as well uh, are very, very helpful um, to people even on this side of the beat, if that makes sense. Um, no, it does not, but I really appreciate it again. Uh, it does not make sense that anybody would ever read my stuff, but I do appreciate it. Uh, you mentioned, uh, my hit, Thiago Santos, of course, he's fighting. I said it very Brazilian, like excessively brazilian right now. I think I'm overcompensating for all the English in my life, but, um, <laughs> as you mentioned, Thiago Santos is, is fighting Glover Teixeira this weekend, um, which should not be happening. This is not okay. I'm not cool with this at all because they're both adorable people and that's my very uh, technical analysis of this weekend but we're just supposed to be on vacation what are you doing studying this weekend <laughs> i'm not but like you know i do have to i still have to submit picks for as you know you know the junkie doesn't staff picks and uh yeah. i actually went with glover to share because <laughs> again it's like wow. uh, glover's like one of the nicest guys he's always the example i use fernando when i'm like you should never condemn a fighter for what they do post-fight because there's a lot of adrenaline flowing, yeah. you know, um, whatnot. Like, like for example, Kevin Holland seemed much more remorseful in his like post-post-fight interview than his immediate interview. You know, you got a lot more adrenaline running, right? Um, whereas Glover, he will like deaden dudes and then he'll be the first to check if they're okay. Like he is the nicest guy. Like when someone wins in class, they immediately become one of, you know, my proverbial guys and, and Glover's toward the top of that list. 
Oh man, I wasn't even gonna go into this uh, weekend's card because I felt like I was. Sorry, I apologize. More- I, I, no, I no. It. Sorry. <laughs> Yo, like I love it. I was just trying to be nice uh, and not give you more homework. But while we're at it, like, could you please pick like five keys? To- I'm kidding. I, I oh, jeez. No. <laughs> but uh, you are absolutely right. Like Glover is just uh, one of the people I've known forever. And this, because um, I've mentioned this before, but I did sort of like every kind of job, including PR for the UC for a while in Brazil. And he's one of those guys. Like I, I specifically remember one day when I was just like bummed about. So I don't know. I'm always bummed. I don't remember the specifics, but I was like in a corner being very emo, emo about something. And Glover came up and like sat down next to me and he like. He was about to fight, I think. And he just like looked at me in the eye and he asked like, are you okay? You seem very stressed. (laughs) You're about to like uh, punch or get punched in the face. Like I'm not the person, like I'm sure I'm mad about some dumb shit, but I appreciate it. That's a a detour to testify to the fact that he really is just like a very classy, like down to earth guy uh but so it's Thiago Mahita so that's why I just don't think that this fight should not be happening and it got canceled like twice oh yeah it's got to be tough for you because you uh, you know obviously the Mahita Santos from just covering him as well so you have that rapport and I always hate it for me it feels like these matchups happen in lightweight because it's my favorite division where my favorites go against each other yeah but that's got to be extra again not to get too hung up on the matchup i guess um it's it's i'm in your house and all but that's got to be extra like irking with the fact that like you know for example dana white said you know kind of took the value away from this matchup just like a week before you know as far as like the one silver lining you'd say well at least we'll get maybe a contender at least one guy will be able to springboard and now i don't know so much after dana's comments uh, what doesn't he take the value of? We're going to get there, by the way. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't mean to I jump have, the gun. I'm no, no, no. Because <laughs> I have some feelings on things that were said by that man last week. But we'll get there. Uh, we, uh, Yeah, this has totally derailed my script, but it's good. I feel like <laughs> I need to be able to uh, to improv. So thank you for helping me there. I guess we'll, we're, we're going into the future. But first, I wanted to go back a little bit to the events of the weekend the happenings um i talked about this with my guest last week i had avi rodriguez who is a, a fellow brazilian reporter so we ended up talking about anderson silva a lot and i guess the rest of the internet is talking about anderson silva a lot but um as we know he may or may not have retired <laughs> on saturday after a loss to uriah hall and we're all feeling some type of way about it. Um, but I wanted to start with, I'm not the greatest analyst in the world. And also, uh, I was drunk. But I guess you could <laughs> say I was pleasantly surprised uh, at the way that Onesson fought. I think like my rational brain was kind of expecting exactly what happened, given his style and given Hall's style. But my heart was just like low-key terrified that Anderson was going to go out there and get starched and just make us sad. And I I don't think that's what happened. Like my perception of it was that Anderson like doesn't really have the reflexes that he once had to pull off some of the things that he did. And he no longer has the chin to really uh, pull off his style the way that he used to. But I didn't really see him like as being thoroughly outclassed and it didn't look to me like irresponsible to have him out there not like we've seen with other guys like Diego Sanchez or or BJ Penn I guess 
even as sad as it was to see him kneeling down and the nose dripping with blood. And, you know, like, I think we're never going to enjoy the sight of Vanessa Silva being uh, knocked out, but I think it could have been worse <laughs> is what I'm getting at. So first I wanted to sort of get your thoughts on that. Like what were your, your feelings and general impression of the fight? You took the words right, in my, uh, right out of my mouth with, it could have been worse. And <laughs> like, that's how I would, you know, um, I don't know what the word is here, but that's how I would, you know, attempt to, not that I would have a, you know, a, a, an ear to Dana White, but that's what I would attempt to tell him. Like, it could have been way worse, man, you know, like um, it, it, with the way, you know, he reacted. Because when you have two fighters who can be a bit of counter strikers, can play a bit of space, they can get in the staring contest in general you put them together, um, we shouldn't be too surprised if they went to a decision, just kind of staring at each other. Plus you, you know, uh, factor in Uriah Hall's admitted fandom, which Anderson Silva, we know he'll use that against you. You you show him that card and he'll, you know, from the weigh-ins to everything, all the smiles, the handshakes, like he is clever. He is so clever in there. He can do, you know, a, a real little to win rounds without doing a lot. Yeah. So in that sense, we got really lucky that, you know, Anderson had his moment. And unfortunately, his moment kind of woke Uriah Hall up like, oh, yeah, I'm a fighter. I need to defend myself. And of course, finished Anderson Silva. So in that sense, which is like you said, it's always going to be sad to see in that sense, it couldn't have ended better um, with the respect and whatnot. So for me, it ended way better than I thought, even though I did predict Hall inside the distance. It still mm -hmm. ended less sadder than I thought because. Again, I'm a sucker for winning in class. I'm a sucker for respect. Perhaps it's the martial artist in me. Make fun of me all you want. It's it's fine. I love it. Um, and then to see Dana kind of just kind of s all over it was like it, it just showed me it showed me one thing. And and we can peel back this onion because uh, I'm curious to hear what, what 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 your takes are on it. But it it showed me one thing for sure is that no matter what your take is on whether well Dana has a soft spot for a lot of guys. He's been working with Anderson for a while. Or, you know, it's the promoter really, you know, uh, hedging his bets to where he, he wanted this guy to do his job to diminish, you know, fighter B's value so that the market is uh, at a preferable place when they mm -hmm. depart from their deal. And either way, the, the bottom line is that's, per that's kind of an unhealthy amount of personal bias to be thrown in there. Yeah. Just for context, for those who for some reason, listen to me and don't follow MMA. Good on you for not following MMA, by the way. Uh, even better for following me. But uh, the thing that we're referring to is right after the press conference. So Anderson Silva loses a uh, fourth round TKO to Uriah Hall. And um, right after the press conference, uh, UFC president Dana White, he was in a mood in that post-fight press conference, by the way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something was <Yeah>. up. <laughs> but he made a, he basically made it sound like Oniso needed a walker to get in the octagon. Like His direct quote was, I made a big mistake and I shouldn't have let him fight this fight tonight. He's a legend of the sport and he's a legend of this company and I did something I disagreed with. I knew I was right and tonight proved I was right and Anderson Silva should never fight again. Um, which again, judging if you haven't watched the fight, judging by what we are saying, it didn't really seem that way. He made it sound like it was just uh, a, a slaughter. Uh, and then he also took the opportunity to shit on Hall, uh, say that Hall has basically zero output and that he's uh, one of the most gun-shy fighters in the UFC. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but uh, and we'll get there. But I think I'm with you uh, in that I'm 
I think that there might be a personal element to guys that uh, maybe Dana White is a little more attached to or like Chuck Liddell or something like, you know, that, that he has more of a personal investment to protecting. Um, and I kind of want to believe that because I want to believe the best in people. But at the right, same right. time, it's kind of like, uh, and Ben Folks touched on this in a very good column he wrote for The Athletic, just... Um, there's just a weird element. So, you know, I gave him 45 fights and it's this 46. That is the criminal one. Like, oh, now anybody who gives him a fight will be terribly irresponsible. Like, I don't want to give him that fight, but I don't think anybody should give them to. So it does seem like he's just undercutting Anderson's value on the market. And I think there's a, an element of hypocrisy too, because he, you know, we're watching Diego Sanchez. We saw uh, BJ Penn get... I don't know how many freaking chances and looking awful out there. And one thing I read on a comment that I was like, it made me think a little bit, which is sort of, yeah, but they're fighting like, especially Sanchez. He's fighting like six times a year for a lot less than one on this one fight. So it mm. wouldn't make sense, but I don't know. What do you think? It, it's tough because like, yeah, I totally agree. Like if we're splitting hairs, the Diego Sanchez, um, downfall and the BJ Penn downfalls were much more clear ones to catch if that was mm -hmm. in fact his his you know uh modus operandi however in his defense with Anderson we've seen uh I don't even know if this is in his defense but as far as you know because um, I, I believe it's it's column A and column B obviously it's a lot of column A with the promoter thing that's what mm -hmm. it caps off that's what he has to do that's mm -hmm. what the matchup was designed for but I I, I do think, and maybe this if, if, if this is defending Dana, that there is a conscience in there, and that's why he was almost in an elevated mood. Because even if he was taking that promoter hat, he even seemed like he had it turned on a 10 for that, right? Like, it's like, okay, I get yeah. it, you're Dana. I get it, you're promoter. But even, even by those normal standards, he was going above and beyond. So I think that's where the personal part comes in. Because mm -hmm. even in victories, we go back to UFC 112. Um, we've seen him be very emotional with Anderson in his prime, out of his yeah. prime, winning, losing. And specifically with his words, I believe it was after the BJ Edgar fight where BJ looked terrible going to 145. It was the third one. I was at that one actually here in Vegas. And he had that weird upright stance. And we got excited because he was back with Nova and Yao and he had he reconnected there. But he just mm -hmm. came in with this weird um, game plan and stance. And Dana walked out before the fight was even over. He was so disgusted. Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't because he hates BJ Penn, but you could tell, like, to me, that was like, wow, he actually cares about this guy and he hates his job, uh, the, <laughs> this part of his job. Um, it, 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 you know, as, as unprofessional or whatever, like, I'm like, you know, actually, it kind of actually shows his, his human side. Um, it, it's sad that that has to be the examples of the man's human yeah. side, but I, I do believe there, you know, there is a little bit of that, um, at play as well. I, I do believe he, I dare believe I should say that he, he actually cares about Anderson Silva. We've got a Dana defender over here, guys. Oh, okay. Jesus. Oh, I will report Jesus. you to Twitter, probably. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I absolutely, uh, I have that same thing in my mind. Like, I I am not one of those people who believe he's necessarily the devil. Um, I think he's a person. Like, he wouldn't be in this for as long as he's been in it, I think, if he wasn't actually invested in it. Right? Like, that's the thing. He has enough money. Like, 
the dude could walk off into the sunset and retire right now. So I do have that tendency to believe that there is a human in there. But then at the same time, it's kind of like we think that. And then two minutes later, we're hit with some fucking weird business decision that makes us sad. So it's kind of totally. And nothing. (laughs) And by the way, nothing excuses like the the approach to Uriah Hall or Uriah Hall should not have been a sacrificial lamb, regardless of what stance he wanted to take Mm -hmm. or the motive behind it. And believe me, I'm not a like I I, I try to be fair because like I, I feel like there's not enough of that um, yeah. uh, on any of the proverbial sides of whatever proverbial topic. But believe me, I'm I'm it it, it it's uh it, it's tough to uh to stomach a lot of the stuff Dana says as he uh I, I would dare say not to get this political, but it, I almost feel like I'm listening to you know uh, a different kind of president, so to speak. And, and I know you have your own issues with similar presidents from your home country. <laughs> And I don't know if this like attitude is contagious, but I feel like I just see like little, like, like little, like they learn from each other and I'm just like, Oh no, just, uh, let's just, can we be nice? Can we play nice? It's absolutely (laughs) like, I do think it all feeds into each other. Like one thing emboldens the other. I have no doubt about that. Um, but just one thing that you mentioned that I, I sort of wanted to touch on that. I think it's important because you mentioned Uriah Hall, right? And even stepping away from Dana a little bit, but I think the general discourse, um, I think they, they, everybody was kind of discounting Hall throughout the whole thing. Like, I understand that he has a history of taking his sweet time to pull the trigger. And he has been a frustrating fighter to watch at times. But at the same time, like, Anderson Silva went the, like, he fought Israel Adesanya, you know, like, he's a counterattacker. He was one of the most talented fighters we've seen, you know, some people would argue forever, like he would not be my pick for the greatest of all time, but he's certainly up there. So obviously there was a big decline. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that his style just like was bound to age poorly. But I also feel like there's a middle ground between being the fight God that we treated him as and being total shit. And I just don't know. I feel like people are basically treated this like Hall was basically fighting himself. Like there was not an actual competitor in there. And I wanted right. to hear your, your thoughts on that. Like, do you agree sort of that, that that was sort of the, the, the sentiment and feel free to disagree with me. I'll just cry a lot, but like, do you also see that trend? Uh, do you think that maybe people aren't giving Hall enough credit here? Hey, listen, I already defended Dana on one thing. I'm not trying to, <laughs> I'm not trying to, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll disagree. Obviously, when 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 it comes, but no, I think you you said a lot of good points that are, are right because whether it was fair or not, that seemed to be the narrative. Uh, at yeah. least how I saw it, um, following my feeds and whatnot, right? And and there is some fairness to it, yes, but it's unfair because if you've been watching Hall, you'll see that he's actually been fixing these things, mm-hmm. and it, there's something you can actually point to with Fortis MMA, who's been a yeah. camp. That's been getting deserved attention for the last couple of years, although they've been at it for a while now. And since he moved there and made that connection, um, I think that's the story. Like Safe Sayud and, and Uriah Hall, that's something that we that's so important in the fight game and in MMA that we see him boxing much more. You know, that close connection um, with the fighter and the coach. You see that so much more in boxing, A, because boxing has been around more, obviously. Uh, but B, because it works. And yeah. we've seen that in M- MMA with some of these, you know, Matt Hume, Demetrius Johnson, when you really get that connecting piece, um, 
you know, and I, I could, you know, sp- speak to this as a lower level, just as a practitioner, when you have a great coach who believes in you, you know, especially if you're you know, a more insecure individual that believe it or not, these fighters are human beings, folks, the psychology is a yep. huge factor and that's the, and that doesn't take away anything from them. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but I will add on to the point and say, it's, it's almost like it's back to bias, which seems to be the word of the day for me. I'm, I'm sorry here, but back to bias of Dana and not just Dana, by the way, but like the UFC brass and matchmaking, it almost feels like I'll use the M night Shyamalan par- parallel, which is really random here. A film parallel. He comes on the scene with his twist ending in that movie with the, what was it? I see dead people, the sixth uh, sense, right? Sense, he wins yeah. all these awards, but every, every movie after that, and he actually did some ones that were arguably better got, terrible reviews and whatever. I'm not saying, you know, he had some really bad films as well, but the point was doing something uh, so amazing to start off your, 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 your UFC career is almost the worst thing you can do because you'll never live up to that standard. Look at this weekend, Alexander Hernandez, who finally looks Mm -hmm. to be back on the saddle. Remember his career? It was beginning. It was like 2017 or almost three years ago. He knocks out Benil Dariush like in the opening seconds and when when the when you do that in the UFC, not just to Hernandez, look at their matchmaking history. They feed you to the lions, and you know you almost don't get a chance, and you're held by that standard. Like so, when you don't replicate that against the next top ten guy, it's your fault. Yeah, you know, you, it's another reason why we can hold that against you in negotiations or in public or whatever, and it's not fair. Yeah, no, and just to clarify, like, I'm with you there. I'm not with uh, Uriah Hall hate at all. Like, I, that's the thing, and that's what upset me. I think everybody was sort of treating it like he wasn't, like, everybody was discounting Anderson so much. Like, oh, why didn't Uriah pull the trigger? Why did it? And it's like, no, because there was a person in there that made him cautious to pull the trigger. Like, I just felt like the narrative was kind of, uh, Bad for both Uriah Hall and Anderson, right? Like, yeah, yeah, almost like a lose lose, in other words, and to which kind of exemplifies your point with Uriah Hall winning technically above standard and still yeah. receding, receding the treatment <laughs> post fight. It's kind of <laughs> hammer that point home, right? Yeah, right. Like, you know, we saw Anderson bloodied and he was saved by the bell once, and then uh, Uriah Hall got to finish the fight against just. Who I believe is, uh, that's crazy. Uh, Chad Dundas touched on this on uh, the co-main event podcast. And I feel like uh, the UFC did some like reverse psychology on us because they like Dana shitting on uh, on this one so much kind of made me like be defensive of his uh, continuing. Like, no, he's that doesn't, doesn't look that bad. He can keep going. Whereas if he hadn't said anything, I would have been like, no, no, that's enough. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, but it's, it's like, Again, the bias, not just toward their bias toward knockout dynamic strikers, right? As opposed to Mm -hmm. wrestlers, right? But even that's, that's going into the fight. But now we're talking about post fight, like even post fight, like they would probably prefer, you know, um, as ugly, you know, and again, I'm, 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 I'm actually a a Kevin Holland fan. So I don't mean to use him as a, as a slight negative and an example. Oh, he was a douche though. I'll say it. I'll use him as a better. I'm also like you in that. I totally forgive fighters for acting in douchey ways after fights because like it's adrenaline. You don't know what you're doing. Like you're emotional, but he was, uh, that was reprehensible, but go on. Oh, I, 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 the more repre- I was going to say the more reprehensible thing for me was rewarding him with a post-fight bonus. And that's mm-hmm. why I was kind of feathering the nest of like, because I always feel bad no matter what the stance is, how right yeah. it is of suggesting a fighter 
get less money because these guys all deserve more money and gals yeah. all deserve more money. So I guess that was my that was my conscience <laughs> kicking in there. But I was my point was I think it was more reprehensible that you reward that behavior with a mm. bonus. You know, like I think Jason, I think it was Jason Witt or whatever. Like that guy got got jobbed of a bonus that night. I'm not going to try to re-break down that. You all can look for yourself. But the point <laughs> is, they the, the point is uh, they reward that type of behavior, whereas. We have a beautiful passing of the torch that how many times have they advertised passing of the torch? This is yep. why you need to watch. Like we mm-hmm. finally got like that moment, the most legitimate way. And mm-hmm. they, you know, you know, uh, micturated all over it to you try to, <laughs> to use more proper language. I love your fancy words. That's why they pay you the big bucks. You're, you're the one <laughs> with bad. the vocabulary. Um, but I'm, I'm with the, uh, right there with you. And it's interesting because last episode with the Habib retirement, I was just talking about like how it seems like the perfect retirement doesn't really exist. And every chance we have at getting one, like we shit on it. Like <laughs> we had one with SP, and then we keep asking him to come back. And then with Habib, like uh, we can have it, but I'm sure we won't let him rest. Like this is going to be our headlines. And then uh, with Donna, so like uh, we had this beautiful moment of him kneeling and Uriah Hall, like right after the fight, he was so respectful. He didn't celebrate. He just immediately sat down, sort of like showed some, he, like he was really taking in the gravity uh, of that situation, right? Like, I think it was just such a beautiful moment that we can really, we could have really, cherished and it kind of we were left with the bitter taste but then again we're mma fans we're just probably very much used to it <laughs> at this point i don't think we're expecting any happy endings um uh, uh, no absolutely that's why i give uriah hall kind of a pass when he's kind of mm-hmm. aggro toward media like he was uh in the lead oh, up yeah. to this and you know and people react and rightly so and i get it and but i it's something i told myself going into this because I, I i came from the you know, uh, fan slash competitor side of it. Um, and even though I, I'm, ne- I'm not an athlete, not a fighter, never claimed to be, uh, never mm-hmm. came close to be. However, I carry that chip on my shoulder as well. Um, yeah. And especially with Uriah Hall, like the, the, the loner who was bullied, the true martial artist, like I check all those boxes. So even though it's, you know, he's not the, the you know, most likable guy, a likable guy in his media lead up interviews um, mm-hmm. or any other fighter, fill in the blank. I, I always, I always give them a, a, a the, you know, the proverbial pass on that because mm-hmm. I'm wired a similar way. And again, even as thorny as he is in the lead up, uh, the, it, it kind of made me feel good for, you know, like that's why you give him the pass because I know that that part is also part of him. The good part, the, the traditional, the respect, um, the things that I do, you know, I know it's not the popular thing to say, but yes, I do believe that the sport could use, it, it wouldn't hurt to have more of. Yeah. And I, I'm there with you. Uh, you know, he was, and he has the history, right, of having been a little uh, snappy with uh, media members. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened in the virtual media day. I think Mike Bond was on the receiving end of one of Hall's uh, memorable, <laughs> uh, terrible interviews. I, having not been the person doing the interview, because I'm very sensitive and would have cried a lot and uh, probably held that resentment forever, but I am with you that... You know, I think like there is a chip on his shoulder there. I think that there is there are a lot of people who benefit from creating an adversarial uh, an adversarial environment between media. I, I understand fighters being moody and on edge during fight week. Like I don't really hold it against them that much. And some people just have those personalities, right? Like some people just 
don't enjoy talking to media, but are really nice guys. I think Aldo, Jose Aldo is just such a good example. He just ah. doesn't like doing media. He's the nicest guy. Like you talk to him like, oh, he's the nicest. Like the cameras turn off. You'll like be asking me about like my cat who died last year. Like that's just how nice he is. Oh, wow. He doesn't like cameras and attention in media. So like I, I totally am with you in that I, I give them a pass. Uh, but that leads me. I want to put a close the on this one chapter of this, but that kind of ties into what I wanted to ask you. I think, you know, what you were saying about Uriah Hall and sort of seeing your, some of yourself in him. And I think it's kind of hard not to project and get nostalgic in situations like this, like uh, on my end. I even posted a picture that I took with Andeso in 2010. And it was, I think, my first in-person interview with a fighter. And, you know, after that, I witnessed so much of what he did. And, you know, I saw him do the Belfort kick. And then I witnessed the Chilson and rivalry. And then the Chris Weidman fights and the injury and the recovery. Like, add it all up. And uh, Anderson Silva has been such a part of my life for 10 years. Not only professionally, because I've probably interviewed him and dealt with him professionally for like five different outlets, but as a fan too, right? And I think in the sort of rel relatively new sport like MMA and a sport that I think we, we are a little protective of as a fan base because it was so niche for such a long time, uh, we take these attachments a little further. Um, again, the way the fight ended uh, with Anderson and Uriah sharing that moment and just a whole mix of just heartbreak and poetry, uh, which is... You know, I'm talking a lot, but my question was from you, like whether, um, you know, whether I was just emotional watching it, uh, even though, again, I was uh, terribly drunk. But how did you feel like? Were you emotional, too? Yeah, I mean, I, I was. And, you know, perhaps obviously you have the specific um, maybe minority experience, for lack of a better word, of covering these fighters individually. But perhaps maybe there's a. Uh, a, a cultural thing too, because as you're speaking, I'm just having flashbacks from like Aldo, you know, losing it to 11 to Big Nog, you know, beating Brendan Schaub, uh, even before that, right? Like the highs and the lows and just seeing how passionate the audiences were. And even through the TV screen there, you know, made me want to cry as a big, big Nog fan, you know, mm -hmm. um, almost getting teary, teary eyed. Like that's very contagious. And again, obviously I'm of a maybe minority. I don't even know if that's an appropriate and probably a sad word, if that's true of those who appreciate that sort of emotion. So I'm, I'm absolutely with you there. And yeah, it's very hard even, and I can speak, you know, with you as far as somebody who has to admit and check these biases for our jobs. Right. It's, that's part yeah. of the thing. That's, and that's, that's the frustrating thing. It's not because I'm a hypocrite that I don't have biases. It's because we all do our best to admit them and still try to, tell uh, the deserved stories as truthfully as, as can and all, all, all that good stuff. Um, so when it's not being done, yeah, we get a little bit ruffled uh, from, <laughs> from people from our beat, you know? Um, and okay. Yeah, fine. Obviously it's going to bother us more than the average, uh, the average Joe, that's fine. But you know, people getting, getting mad at uh, MMA media, just, just cut, cut, cut us some slack. <laughs> oh man, We're already getting it from all directions. Just, yep. <laughs> you know, relax, like realize like not only that the fighters are human beings, but we're also human beings. So yep. when we can see these human beings and relate to them in these very vulnerable moments, like again, there's, there's nothing wrong with that folks. The, 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 the samurai were some of the toughest warriors in the world, but they also made time to study art flowers, certain things like that. 
um, yeah. which are in Western culture is like, whoa, you're soft, right? Um, snowflake. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I always use the samurai example and, and I love when we can have now have modern day examples to close up the chapter of uh, Uriah Hall and yeah. uh, Anderson Silva and seeing the, you know, the yin and yang, their balance. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like you, you, you mentioned it, like we all have our biases and I think all of us as uh, media members and people who deal with these fighters or even like sometimes it's irrational, right? Like I have fighters that I'm irrationally like drawn to or that I think are awesome. And I've never right. talked like Tom Breeze. I don't know why I love Tom Breeze. <laughs> I just do. You can't explain, but the heart wants what it wants. So like Jack Hermanson, <laughs> one of my irrational faves. Like, nice. You just like people. And I think that um, I do the exercise of checking that out the door the minute I'm stopping to write a story. But at the same time, I do feel like it enriches uh, the story a bit when you are uh, invested in it. Like at least what the type of writing that I do, because I'm not like a no longer a day-to-day person. Like I'm writing mostly like special features and columns and stuff. And I do think that it actually helps. It's a hard line to walk though. Uh, While we're on that subject, I kind of wanted to ask uh, your thoughts on this because there's other other side of this, the not so pleasant side of it, which is uh, going back to Saturday. Like Bryce Mitchell did this amazing performance beat Andre Feely in a way that shattered my heart in a thousand pieces because I also love Andre Feely. And uh, he went on to do like this, I'm not going to say anti-mask speech because apparently they don't use that term anymore, optional mask speech. And uh, the same time that the MMA world was a little bit upset, (laughs) I think we're also kind of like not surprised because we kind of gotten used to this and I was even reading a, an article on political yesterday, and it was talking about how MMA and particularly the UFC had become fertile ground for the spread of QAnon stuff and Trumpian discourse. And I think this, this is something I go back at. Like, I don't know for sure whether MMA is just like a more toxic or weirder sphere, but we do see a lot of it attracts from what we see and hear from fighters. And a lot of people ask me, like, oh, how do you reconcile, like, your beliefs and your morals with the sport? Like, how do you separate things? And my answer is that I separate it when I'm doing my job, of course. But as a person, like, I do have a bit of an issue, like, starting, like, rooting out or just kind of, like, being invested in a, a fighter or in a fight where I just don't necessarily... um I don't know, respect the person's, that's a strong word, but I guess it's the truth, the person's opinions or stances. So um, I I guess my question is that if that happens for you, like, do you ever get conflicted in terms of um, the job or just watching it as a fan and and people's personal and I guess political stances? Did you just ask me if I ever get conflicted watching MMA? Yes. Yeah. Yes. No. A yeah. super a specific, <laughs> not broad question. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm, I'm joking at <laughs> the fact of like, how, how even me as passionate as I am about it, how many problems I, I can readily admit that come to the top of my head that uh-huh. have me, honestly, to answer your question, yeah, that have me, um, I'm trying to think of the proper word for it, but, but conflicted. Yeah. You said it best. I, I'm conflicted on a weekly basis, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, now again, separating, you know, I, making a promise to myself from the beginning, uh, to know that I'm going to have my best work, 
you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, things like from a betting angle or something, you really got to take bias out of the way, right? When mm-hmm. you're talking about money or people using your reference on where to put their money. Um, so it's really important to take those things out. Uh, and yes, I, I get it. And and I'm I don't and fundamentally I don't think it's wrong for the people mm-hmm. saying like it's okay for people to have different opinions from you. I remember I had a listener who I didn't even realize um, what his politics were, and I honestly mm-hmm. tried to talk very little politics. But I guess yeah. I'm just too honest, obviously for my own good. So it's not <laughs> hard to for my listeners to kind of find out where I stand. Yeah. And this guy's my and he, and and you know I you know and he's he's like hey man just what you and I let you know and he's like a long time listener and he's like. Um, I'm a, you know, I'm a Trump guy, but I, I still love you. And doesn't mean we still can't have like, you know, a joke at things. And I'm like, that's a cool attitude, man. Like that's a lot. Yeah. I wish more of your people had that less obnoxious <laughs> attitude, sir. And, and so fun and fundamentally, you know, those attitudes, there's, there's nothing wrong with that fundamentally, but, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm sure you might appreciate this. I'm going to do a law and order SVU uh, analogy <laughs> here, but like, I remember like more toward like the earlier two thousands, um, I had a girlfriend and she was really into binging just law and order SVU. Like that was her weird, guilty pleasure. Right. Yeah. And of course I got sucked into that, that those sessions. Right. And I remember there was this one episode and I thought it was kind of like out there where it was like this, like right wing guy and he has this platform and he's spouting out all these things. And, um, it make it, and it, and it influenced someone to go, uh, uh, kill somebody because that was that's what the person was saying in not so many words it was a lot of dog whistling to use that term which is yep. sadly very appropriate for the time mm-hmm. right yeah and this was like you know i'm probably watching it in the the mid to late aughts but this was probably filmed in the early aughts uh 2000s yeah. and even then you know um i was I, at that point i was already kind of educated on what things like you know and all media, I'm not just picking on Fox News, by the way, and stuff like, you know, I was all, I was already kind of educated on like what, how dangerous media platforms can be and have moved away from those. Mm-hmm. But I was like, wow, that's kind of like, I remember thinking to myself kind of going like, I almost had a hard time like take, get, getting into the show because I was like, this seems kind of outlandish. Like, would this really <laughs> happen? And now you fast forward. And again, the, these things that people say, especially that they're well-meaning are fundamentally not wrong. You know, uh, we all should get along all these things. I'm, I'm all for that. Don't get me wrong, obviously. But like, I do believe a lot of these things also become dated because of technology, social mm-hmm. media, and all these things kind of outperforming the human race. We're not wired to have all this. This is why, you know, the inundation is making all these, even pre-pandemic, you know, you, you're seeing depression, anxiety, all these numbers kind of tick up. So yeah. now we have to keep that in mind when we say that, yes, Bryce Mitchell or whoever should be able to have their opinion. And, you know, um, as long as, you know, they're not directly saying things and inciting, you know, what, what is racist action versus saying it starts to get real foggy. I agree. The lines are foggy today. Although I would like to think we're working in a more progressive right uh, direction, um, you know, uh, right in the sense of moral, uh, I should mean. Um, But, yeah, I agree. The lines are foggy. Okay. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but, but still at the same time, we do need to factor in that even though this person should have their right to do that and this and that, the fact that they have a platform coupled with the technology of today, yeah. it, it does become dangerous. Yeah. That's my thing with it too. Uh, and I think right now, like uh, I'm with you in that, like we just, we're so exposed to people's every thought right now. Like you can just, right. A person sees a thing and a lot of like QAnon weird shit was spread by people who aren't 
weird conspiracy theories. They saw right. a thing and that made sense for those five seconds. And it was just that easy for them to share in an Instagram story. Right. So right. I'm right. That, that's the time we, we live in right now. And I think the elections really amplify that. I see that now with you guys in the US, even though this is a uh, Trump's second time running, I think the first time the climate was so much different. I think a lot of it because nobody really thought he was going to get elected. But and we had it in Brazil with Bolsonaro, and a yeah. lot of the fighters supported Bolsonaro in 2018, and I was destroyed. Like a lot of people would say, "Oh, you should be able to separate, dude." I'm a person. I'm a person mm -hmm. first and a journalist later. Uh, which I say knowing that I'm privileged in my position. I can afford to do that professionally because I'm not a person who is in the day-to-day. -day. I don't have to pick up the telephone and call Bryce Mitchell tomorrow and say, hey, I called you a dummy yesterday, but can you give me an interview? If I have to go back to that, I'm fucked, but let's cross that bridge. <laughs> <when we get. laughs> so uh, I do, and I, you are very, like, uh, like you said, I do think that you are a person who is impartial in your work, both because of the nature of it. And I think like even your social media, I know where you sort of stand because I kind of know you and you don't suck, but, um, but you're, you, it doesn't come across like as very um, incisive, which I absolutely understand because I think that it is the nature of what you do. Like you're doing mostly analysis. Like it's not like you need to know whether, Bryce Mitchell, like you need to state whether you think that Bryce Mitchell's rant on a freaking mask is <laughs> relevant or not. Oh, totally. I mean, if I, if, oh, if I had the quote tweets <laughs> that I trash that I end up not sending out, boy, would those tell a story. Uh, so so if, I, if I'm, if I'm being honest, right. Um, however, yeah. uh, I, I feel like at least I can be honest without feeling like a complete hypocrite because yeah. a, you know, we're both being honest about our biases. I think that's a big part of it to yeah. where even though, believe me, I, I wanted to, there was a bunch of stuff that came to my mind. <laughs> like, I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like, and I've been to Arkansas. Uh, I've known people, I, I've had some funny experiences in that state, you know, going yeah. into a barber shop with the Confederate flag and having that whole, everybody yeah, just I stop just, and look at me. Yeah. Um, the things you do for a girl, man. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> neither here nor there. But like, so, I mean, there, there's plenty of things I could say about him and, and, but you know, yeah. but, uh, but yes, I did it. But does that put me on a high horse? Like I'm elevated. Oh, I can, I can separate bias. No, because mm -hmm. if I'm being honest, mm -hmm. Fernanda, the other part of me is similar to how you felt about, you know, the fighters expressing interest in Balsarno, which again, should have been mm -hmm. another warning sign for what's happening over here. Um, oh, but like, yeah, like, do I think, do I think differently? Yes. Whether that's fair, whether that's right. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say it's fair. I'm not going to yeah. say it's right, but it's honestly how I feel. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's tough to do that. Uh, but in my mind, at least that is my way of being fair about it. I will reshare certain things and I, I don't think anybody can, even if they don't agree with my stances on things, I don't think anybody can accuse me of like the typical, whatever they want to say, performatively woke <laughs> or whatever the wording is of the day, right? The word no. du jour um, of the day. Uh, but I, I will share things, whether it's MMA related, political related, uh, mental health related or not, because uh, if you see me share those things, I guess I should say it's because they are important to me. So yeah. I'm glad that still comes through. Like you said, I mean, obviously you, you, you know me more than the average person. Uh, in this space, but like, I'm still glad that that shows through too, because yeah, like I'll even just trying to be fair, I'll get a, a, accusations of being this or that, this or that. And I'm the most non-sides person there is. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, 
I hate the two party system. I, I, I always make fun of the red team versus blue team analogy or my yeah. team versus your team in sports. I think it's all silly. Um, so it, it's, yeah, that's, that's my stance on things, I guess. No. And, and everybody, first of all, nobody listens to me. So, uh, you're in the clear, but if you're listening, I asked, so please, don't come after Dan Tom and <laughs> after me. I'm used to it. No, I'll no, it's too bad. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll turn you into an episode. So I'll, I'll welcome everything as material. Um, one small note that I maybe should have asked in the beginning, but uh, I'm bad at podcasting. Uh, how long have you, we've been talking about your career and what you do in MMA, but um, I know you've been involved in martial arts since forever by the way to our listeners if you're listening to a mexican band it's not uh, your imagination there is a, a mexican band under my window so there's that <laughs> listeners i am in mexico and there's a band and i can't do anything to stop it uh embrace the culture but um how long have you been uh, involved in mma like professionally uh, you just reminded me of living in Brooklyn when I lived above a, re- <laughs> a, a, a reggaeton, a Mexican restaurant that turned into a reggaeton club at night. So I got used That's to sleeping with and that was my dad fall asleep to that. It was great. Uh, uh, yeah. um, about a, a, a couple years after I moved out of New York from that that mm-hmm. apartment, um, I found myself back here in Vegas in, in the, uh, I guess, fight capital or whatever. And yeah, I mean, um, you know. It, I did some amateur, some amateur competitions, some concussions, and uh, I found myself not able to participate in this uh, sport that I, for some reason, love called MMA and had some coaches uh, direct me in about, I think, 2015 or so to start breaking down fights so I don't go crazy while I'm off the mat. Did it on my own website, launched it mid-2015. So, yeah, I guess you could say five years. Sorry, long, long, short answer there. That's not, I thought it was more, so you were competing, I'm sorry, I missed it. You were competing in jiu-jitsu or MMA itself? Uh, both. Uh, the concussion happened while I was in training camp for my second amateur fight uh-huh. um, because I, <laughs> I I lost the first one getting uh, badly beat up by Marvin Eastman's son for three rounds. That was fun. Okay. And I wanted to get that <laughs> monkey off my back um, because yeah. males, we have our, like a weird midlife crisis at about 30. That's kind of like this. And I think a lot of, uh, I think I'm sure females obviously have their own version of it. I just, I can't speak for y'all. So I can only speak for the male side. And we, we right around 30, we, we have this thing like, oh, my you know. life has been a crisis. Like it's, I, I don't differentiate. I've been in crisis since I was born, but. That's why I connect with you so much. See, it's the existential crisis. We're always at battle with it. And uh, that's how I chose to battle it when I was 30. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I sustained, uh, yeah, the, sustained the concussion there. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, I did compete in jiu-jitsu before that and whatnot. And uh, I'm not looking to get back into that now. I think I've got them somewhat manageable, but other health markers that have come on my radar this year will probably definitely never allow me to take uh, shots to the head, which is a good thing, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't say I'm like, that's the thing, right? Whenever somebody says, oh, I'm done with fighting, like, ah, uh, because obviously it's sad when you have to stop doing a thing you do. At the same time, I, uh, as a friend, I would like you not to get hit in the head more, I guess. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's that's the thing, you know, like, and I don't regret it. And I yeah. obviously none of these fighters do uh, with them reminding us of their attitude towards safety precautions uh, in recent times. Um <laughs> Because, you know, we, we we all accept the fact, I would like to think that one rogue shot can change your life. I just wish the rest of the world from insurance companies, doctors to mm-hmm. just people's perceptions were really more sympathetic to to that cost. 
Ugh. And that's the thing, right? Like I, I heard it in Brazilian commentary once. Like we were watching the fight, and uh, one of the commentators, not going to name names, said, um, "Oh, like they could, the ref could have let it go. Like one more shot's not going to kill you." And I'm like, "Except it could literally kill you. Like it could yeah. literally bet that one shot to kill you. Like it's just, I think that we're so." I think the sensitized as people who watch fights, but generally as a society, like at the same time, we're so aware of the risk. We live sort of in that line and people in the general society might not understand the damage or not see like the toll that it takes in the way that we like do. Um, and it's another one of the conflicts, right. Of covering the sport, like watching people get brain damage and maybe we don't know and we are not doctors we can't diagnose but at the same time like you know that it's serious and to me at least it's one of the main conflicts of of covering this sport me too i mean it's one of the things that i felt gave me a a, a unique viewpoint um mm -hmm. to offer not just being a media member that comes from the competition side mm -hmm. but also having that sacrifice you know so and it does suck when fighters, you know, don't really just treat you as some media member and, you know, they look at me, which is really easy to be like, look at this freaking nerd. And, you know, they go off or whatever, and you just kind of got to take it like Bobby Green, I think, did. And I'm still a big Bobby Green fan. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I'm yeah. really good. I, I, that's one thing I can say. I'm, I'm pretty good about not letting those things, those things, those things go. But yeah, the, the head trauma for sure is the most conflicting thing. And again, that mm -hmm. ties back to seeing these people as human beings, which is the ultimate problem. And I'm not trying to be, you know, Buzz Killington and neither is anybody who brings up any type of adverse topic. Like we're not trying to kill your viewing experience, yeah. but if you truly love the fighters, right, then you want to bring attention to these things to improve their conditions, both during and post their career. And it shouldn't take a Hollywood romanticization of like a movie, like a million dollar baby mm -hmm. for us to get upset at an after the shot bell warping someone's life. Yeah. You know and what I'm saying? Like we, we don't need the Hollywood. We shouldn't have to rely on Hollywood cuts. We should be able to see things in real life and grade them for what they are. Absolutely. And that's the thing, right? These are at the same time, they're adults that sign contracts. They're making choices for themselves. But at the same time, when we talk about paying more, uh, it's taking that into account, right? Like first the risk that they're taking every time they go into the cage, but also understanding that they can't, they shouldn't be uh, having really long careers because of the nature of what they do. Like this all ties into fighter rights. Like we're not saying, oh, this is stupid. Don't watch it. Like clearly we cover it for a living, but kind of like understand that this is, and that's how, kind of like how I explained it to myself. Like I would justify it to myself when I go to bed at night. Like this is a big deal. And that's why we're asking for these things for these fighters. Absolutely. And that's a, another thing about the, back to your original comment, why that's so dangerous because not only is it dangerous on a scientific level, but let's be honest, let's break it down even further. Oftentimes it's the fighters who are known for their chin are the ones that are worse off for it. You know, the BJ yeah. Pens, the Anderson Silva. I mean, you could, you know, that's the reason why he was fooling around with Chris Weidman because he was able to do that and take those shots for so long. Mm -hmm. um, so when it stops happening, that's nature really trying to tell you something. Yeah. Um, I want to switch subjects a little bit because that's more of a personal curiosity of mine linking back to what you said about uh, pivoting into MMA uh, professionally. And you said early on about your tape studies. I'm always so curious because I'm like the opposite from an analysis person. I have no patience. I don't even understand what it's been 10 years that I can't break down fights. It hasn't happened. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so I'm just 
fascinated by your brain. So I guess just how is sort of your process? Like before you do an episode of your podcast where you're breaking down all these fights and you have to do it quickly, but at the same time, sort of deeply, like how is your, 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 yeah, just your, your workflow, your process. And you say that, but like you throw a nicer high kick than me, Fernanda. So I don't know about <laughs> how much like you don't know about fights, but maybe you also have like my shared ADHD to where like you probably go in there and you start shadow boxing and you're like, wait, what, what did the, what did the coach just say? <laughs> I'm having too much you know, fun. <laughs> I, I throw a mean head kick, but at the same time, I'm really bad at fighting. Like it's, it's one day I'll, I'll grow the guts. Like I'll post a picture of me, like shadow, uh, even not shadow boxing, but like light sparring. And you will understand why I'm not uh, making a splash in the 145 division. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh my goodness. I've been tempted to do the opposite, but my, 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 my lack of ego and self-esteem won't let me post anything. So <laughs> there's you should that. You like me. Uh, <laughs> my lack of ego and self-esteem does not stop me from doing anything. It's liberating. That, there we go. I, you know what? That's actually much more, that's much more powerful and liberty. I dig that you're, you're, you're hundred percent there. Um, but as far as my, my process, aside from constantly self-deprecating myself, those, uh, is, uh, yeah. Um, basically it's so hard to look ahead. Like I have tunnel vision, um, which is part of the, the, the hard thing for me when it comes to writing, um, which is also why, like, I don't know, I'm not going to project my, 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 my issues onto you. Um, but why I can relate. I'm used to it. Like, uh, I'm a woman who has dated men for (laughs) many years. Yeah. It's a straight woman. There's a lot of that. There's yeah, a lot of so that. This yeah. is like my specialty, uh, my hobby, my unpaid uh, a second job. <laughs> go ahead. Well, uh, I, re- I relate to you when you talk about <laughs> deadlines and things like that. Because yeah. um, I, I have a lot of things at play. And just basically, in short, the way I'm wired is that I just, I, I've got tunnel vision. I got to focus. Mm-hmm. I'm like a whale. I come up for air. And then I see my to do <laughs> list. I'm like, wait, it went from 17 to 27. And I was just, how long was I down for? And it, it, it completely takes away the self satisfaction of checking off the one thing. Um, because it's like, and Neil deGrasse Tyson said, I'm fighting a mythical Hydra. So my best process is. I, I honestly, if I'm doing really well, or if it's these weird mm-hmm. early Abu Dhabi start times, I'll start outlining if I'm not too tired or inebriated after the card ends <laughs> on a Saturday. Um, because uh, I, I write down these weird little, like my note format actually turned into my breakdown format. Like I, yeah. I, I even found an old picture before I started my website. And it's, if you look at this, the scratch on the paper, it's really similar to the structure you still see um, on MMA Junkie. Okay. So I have this weird little OCD thing and I write all my little notes there mm-hmm. and at least for the big fights. And, um, I, I, I try not to go through and watch all their fights, but I have this weird completest nature in me where, which is why I, I can't binge watch. Cause I will binge watch seasons mm-hmm. of things. Um, I've <laughs> saved it till now. Oh, am I going to town now, Fernanda? But uh, <laughs> I, 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 uh, I, I try to strategically like, place mm-hmm. it to where it's like, cause people are like, how do you break down fights? I'm like, cause I'm always like one of those people, like I'm just because I have experience doesn't mean like uh, I, I'm, you know, you need experience or I'm better than you. Like, no, there's plenty of good analysts who have much less experience than even I, a lot of it's kind of like forensic science. So, you know, mm-hmm. for example, Uriah Hall Silva, I know we can't keep talking talk about this fight, but you have one fighter that fights from an Orthodox dance and mm-hmm. one that fights from a Southpaw real basic. Mm-hmm. So if I'm going to Uriah Hall, I don't want to waste too much time watching him fight Orthodox dance fighters. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to all the fights where he fought a Southpaw fighter. And thankfully that's going to be a lot less fights because there's a lot less Southpaws. So you can be smart about your work and make your work yeah. smaller while more succinct to what you're looking for. 
and then you can get basic answers. And even if you're not, you know, super technical, like you're confident, you know what you're looking at, you can, you can tell if someone's doing well or not. Right. So, I mean, yeah. there are basic things on a basic level. You can go back without having to dissect everything and through a fine tooth comb, which is something I'm constantly reminding myself. And, um, my biggest deadline is not so much the write-up. It's the, uh, you're familiar with this one, the junkie staff picks, which, um, Oh yeah. Uncle Matt's thankfully gives us the right to reserve <laughs> peel, peel behind the curtain. He gives us the right to reserve our pick, but you know, those guys, the editors in all spaces do enough dang work. I always felt guilty making them change pick. Yeah. Um, so I always wanted to get mine in. And also I'm, I'm so weird because again, uh, here's how protective I'm about biases, Fernando. Like, if I see, and, and like John Morgan's talked about this a lot where like, you'll see like when he's defending uh, the writers, as far as our staff picks, it's like, yeah. it's almost like a, it's like a, a psychology experiment. Once one person turns in a certain set of picks, you'll see the other person follow suit. And next thing you know, it's a close fight on paper, but you'll see that all the junkie staff members have the same fighter pick. So of course the other fighter will be like, you guys suck. Yep. You know, nothing, regardless mm -hmm. if, you, if they win or lose the fight, right? They're going to hate us for life now. And so in our defense, it's not always that like we're ganging up on a fighter or this or that. But however, I do acknowledge that those bias exists. So I try not to look at junkie staff picks. And I yeah. also even try not to even look at betting lines before I kind of get my rough picks in my head because I don't want to be influence you know um i can't listen to certain people in my space because they do too similar of work it may come out through my writing i don't know if you've experienced that as a writer so i'm so protective of my filter that it's like mm. ocd level yeah but you you mentioned you the betting line but you have to you also do like betting stuff right yes for line movement yeah so um, yeah, yeah and that and that especially too because even though i am very honest with my listeners to where like yeah. If I put something out there on my podcast, which has been a betting podcast as well, at least the breakdown portion of the shows are, I'll do top five and more fun stuff as well. But the betting portion of the shows, I always give the disclaimer, like if I say that, you know, the, the, this is a player, this is something I'm not telling you to play. I'm telling you, I'm telling you what I did. You could follow me off the cliff. You, you don't have to. I'm telling you yeah. most of the time not to. Uh, I also express that I bet like a nine-year-old with an allowance. Because that's <laughs> Another way to not burn yourself out and to keep things fun. You can't, yeah. you know, and, and also to protect the filter as far as, even though it's part of my beat technically, and I'm not technically a journalist still, I, I try to, you know, I try to give myself some morals to abide by, gosh forbid. Um, <laughs> and, but also more importantly, there are people that like, they'll show me these betting slips of like, you know, betting, uh, I don't make a lot granted, but like almost what I make in a year. You know what I'm saying? And they're Jesus. listening and that's a lot. And I have, you know, or I've had and, and fighters even, and they're not betting as much, but it's just like, uh, you know, someone hits me up and be like, Oh, so-and-so fighter just plays this based on your, based on your thing. I hope it cashes. And I'm like, yeah, I hope so too. Cause I don't oh, want this. Man. I don't want this guy who trains at the gym that I train at uh, coming after me. <laughs> Dude. Not that I that's ever happened. Imagine. I know that, uh, not that that's ever happened. See fighter. <laughs> Well, if uh, you ever go missing people who are listening to the podcast, we know what happened. It was and a bad, <laughs> bad batting advice. And that's another thing too. It's like, uh, that hurts of whether like a fighter or, or a, in this case, more like, a, a, not, not a fan of mine. I don't have fans. I have listeners, but a fan of the sport coming at me, I should say, is that like, you don't understand, like I, uh, for, for saying things or not saying things like 
not only do I have to be really honest and non-biased, but like, I will still say things that are probably too honest for my own good. And I, unlike you fanned or unlike, you know, even my fellow media members who you guys throw rocks at, like I have to actually, I actually know a lot of these guys and yep. will go and train uh, in a lot of these facilities and, you know, <laughs> am of the level and of the size where it's a good excuse to say, Hey, you want to jump in over here? And then I get my, <laughs> I get my ass kicked. Um, so it's like, it's, that's another funny part. I don't think people realize we're like, I, I have to put my money where my mouth and have put my money in my mouth. Uh, you know, if we're talking about sacrifices that I still live with as far as concussion symptoms. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it's, it, it's tough. I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but yeah, no, there's, there's I, a lot to I, juggle. There's a lot to juggle. This I totally get you. Like I'm, and the th- the funny thing with the staff picks, it's like for those who are listening, when we're junkies still do it, but we were both working for junkie and we have the staff picks that we do for, uh, I don't even know if they're doing for every fight, but I remember we had to do them basically every week. Yes. I, I hated that. Like I mm-hmm. hate picks. You see in my pre-fight guides, I never pick. Because I totally. just freaking hate it. Like I just, first of all, like I, I don't really have the sort of analytical brain that you have, but at the same time, I just don't see why if I don't have to. And with the picks, I was sort of forced to because we all did it. And I will neither confirm nor deny. I sort of waited for you to post yours so I could uh, post the same. But <laughs> but at the same time, I think that you guys were in a lot more pressure to get them right than I was. You, because uh, first of all, as an analyst, I think it's you're much more under the microscope in terms of results than i am because like some people would come to me oh you got your pick wrong and i'd be like yeah whatever fuck you like what are you listening to me for uh, but uh you and i think john for instance because he was a guy who was yes. with fighters a lot and they would yes. take it so personally because that's something a lot of people don't know that these badasses are often very sensitive people um, they re- and they read the internet <laughs> way more than they claim by the way way more than oh, they claim they read right but the brazilians don't that much, at least not junkie. They will read kombacha. So I could afford ah, to sort okay. of... I, I, I didn't feel pressure. I like... What would happen at the most was just some rando on the internet, like saying something like, oh, why did you pick this person? And it would happen sometime. Why did you pick them? And the person I picked went one. And I would act like I made that pick consciously and not just uh, randomly through a dart, uh, which is, has happened a few times. I don't think I lost... The two, uh, I was there for three years. I don't think I was at the bottom, but I was like close. I was never good at picking fights, which is why I am not an analyst. And I really respect uh, what you do because just like, it's just, I'm operating in the totally different like sphere of things. (laughs) To me, it's incomprehensible. (laughs) It sounds so smart. (laughs) No. No, I, I appreciate that because like it, it, it's 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 even like it, it, not everybody even within the space gets that you know like I even remember like kind of you know uh, like when I first started coming on with Junkie like kind of going on, like uh, trying to like bend the lines with Matt like going hey man can I can I maybe uh, turn mine in a little later and it wasn't trying to be rude but it was just like I have to like write in depth talk about. Uh, and possibly see these people on multiple levels for multiple platforms, multiple mediums. It's yeah. not just as simple as submitting a pick for me. It's a little yeah. more, a little more goes into it, you know. And again, with my weird process, so it's it, it's a bit of a juggle. And 
um, for me, I would have to face that bridge anyways, but yeah, I'm much more sympathetic to you guys. Cause I'm like, to me, like that should be the, one of those, one of the silver linings of that beat. I'm like, Oh, that must be nice not to have picks, <laughs> make picks. But then I also feel bad as, you know, because you know, whether it, you have to call for an interview or like, uh, like John, you know, with the, I remember that the classic one was Vitor, right? Mm-hmm. Just, just, Oh, he went at him or Woodley, I think went at him too, uh, in mm-hmm. like Singapore or something like, or Macau. Like, yeah, he had that, people like after the fight, like point at him and be like, you were wrong. Like in that's front of so everybody. intense. Yeah, and it was just a big guy, like chill. But uh remember, oh. I don't know, maybe it was Tyron Woodley. I'm trying to remember. Well, that happened to Jonathan the other day. I don't know if it was because like they're they pointing to the media row, and I think it was and there's not that much media, even less media, you know, mm-hmm. these days. Uh so I'm pretty sure he was pointing to John, especially <laughs> because we're the only outlet that posts picks and the fighter yeah. was going, You got it wrong, you got it wrong. <laughs> And I remember what the, I can't cite what, what, what it was, but I remember at the time knowing that like John actually picked that guy to win, but because John oh, sits there, no. he, it, 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 like all of he us could pick except, except one. And John oh. is still going to get shit for it. You know, even if he, if he was like the, the one of the 10 out of 11 who picked that fighter, you know, that <laughs> he's still going to get it. So I was like, Oh, poor guy. He actually picked it. There's no winning in this situation. No winning for us. No winning for us. Yeah. Just uh, to clarify, never listen to me. Never put uh, any of your money on anything I say ever. Uh, That's just like the one lesson that everybody can take away from this um, podcast. I (laughs) already took up so much of your time, but I have one final question that I feel like um, is very important. Uh, very intense. So I'm going to give you one second to think about it. Okay. Before you submit your answer. <laughs> All right. Sure. Uh, if you could pick anyone in the Kumite that you would fight, like that you think your styles would be compatible, that you could really beat. Um, yeah. Who would you pick? What, what would your ma- your dream matchup in the Kumite be? Man, it's tough. Like, <laughs> Because you did that post for MMA Junkie ranking Kumite yeah. uh, fighters, so I know you're 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 in the know. You analyze them too. Part of me wants to take a piece out of one, of, you know, because you you wanted to be for something. Um, yeah. And most of the bullies were a bit, you know, uh, too intimidating. Maybe like one of the two brothers uh, who, uh, who who dis who, who dissed the reporter in the beginning. Um, I forget. Uh, I compare him to the Diet. Yeah, I, I, not, 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 not Sadiq. He's the, he was the Arab gentleman who definitely disrespects the, the ladies. Uh, it's not very nice to them. But uh, prior at the bar, they kind of just blow her off okay. when, they, when, when she's asking questions. They kind of, uh, mm-hmm. they stonewall her. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, compa- I compared him in my article to like the Diaz brothers. But <laughs> honestly, the dude, I think his name was Razel or something. Razael. It was some weird name, technically, but he looks like. You know, Mark Summers, or like he's got like this this real '80s like feathered haircut, and he just has the pretty boy, the whole pretty boy thing. And um, I don't know, maybe it's like the Tyler Durden in me that just wants to you know go destroy something beautiful there. <laughs> I'll I'm take with, that no, guy. I love it. I think, I, and I'm with you because I was I picked mine in case like uh, you know to be fair and in case you asked, and I'm with you in the fighting for a cause. But I did pick Sadiq. Cause uh, that's, that's appropriate though for you. You, I would yeah. I, in the movie too, it would be like, it'd be like, it'd be a show. And I'd be like, no. And then you, I step back and then the, the camera reveal there's <laughs> Fernanda. He's already got her tie shorts on. She's ready to go. And also in your breakdown, <laughs> you did uh, point out to something very important is that he's very fucking stupid and a bad fighter. So I feel like yes. I could take him. 
Yeah, yeah, no, that is that that is very true. That is, yeah, you know that that that. And let's be honest, he was probably the biggest jerk of them all because, like, you know, he had to he had to throw the uh, he had to throw the you know the whole the, the misogyny aspect in there and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Although this was very stereotypical, this was written. In yeah, movies. now this when was... I think about it, it is. But still, I still take him <laughs> just because I feel like I could beat him. Like I think your answer was better, but. You know what I love, by the way, those movies is that like sometimes some of the most misogynistic parts were actually not meant to be misogynistic because they just date so poorly. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> this is a thing that happened. Like it's totally normal to address a woman that way. Um, yeah. That's like every Van Damme movie ever. But yeah, what's the, it's the Bechdel test. Is are you familiar with what the Bechdel test is, Fernanda? Yeah, they do the score right to see how yes. friendly it is. Yeah, no, yeah, no, they, they and I'm do a well. big, I'm a big action movie, as you know, fan, like from the 80s and 90s. So I have to really um, dissociate <laughs> when I'm watching them. Yes. Uh, I guess there's no way to go but down after Bloodsport. So That's right. uh, this is it for us. Before we go, I did mention uh, some of the stuff that you're doing, but is there anything you want to plug or point our listeners? No, just, uh, you know, you can find me on at Dan Tom MMA on Twitter. That's where I'm most active. That's uh, sadly, uh, I'm not a big social media fan. Everything's there to keep it simple. And just in closing, thank you and keep listening and supporting all of Fernanda's content. Cause uh, I will be doing the same. Oh, that's too kind. Thank you so much for this, for taking the time. Uh, thank you all for listening and good luck with everything that is happening uh, in the world right now be mindful of your mental health drink water be angry if you need to be be sad if you need to be sad but remember that there are good people left in this world and not everything is hopeless bullshit and that is my message for today this has been the best camp of my life see you next week